Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Seven words that'll scare any politician. Roy Green is holding on line one. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network continues. There's a new book on the market. We've been telling you a bit about it and promoting the fact that we're going to have this conversation. And the book is titled Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada with a Warning to America. The author is Thomas Quiggin. He's qualified as a court expert in the reliability of intelligence as evidence and on terrorism, and that's in criminal and federal court. He has experience and has filled intelligence positions with the RCMP, the Canadian Armed Forces, the United Nations Protection Forces in Yugoslavia, the Privy Council Office, the Bank of Canada, and much more. And Mr. Quiggin joins us on the Roy Green Show on Global News Radio. Tom, thank you very much for making the time. Thanks for inviting me, Roy. Let's. Uh, I want to get back and ask you about the the word submission and the the uh, as the title word in the uh, for the book. But you also had uh, some uh, quite some valuable assistance in writing the book. Do you want to give some credit to the people who worked with you? Yeah, it's uh, some of my co-authors are folks like Tahir Gora, uh, who's originally from Pakistan, uh, a Muslim who's had a lot of exposure to this kind of violence overseas and understands what's happening now that it's come to Canada. Another one of my colleagues, Saeed from Egypt, who has a fatwa against his life for speaking out against the Muslim Brotherhood, which is one of the focal points of this book. Uh, Rick Gill, who's a former military intelligence guy, did a lot of work on showing how well we've done work on source reliability and information credibility. Uh, Jonathan Kotler, a young guy originally from Montreal, uh, did a lot of work for us on the Muslim Student Association, uh, and he was a real help as well. And then Rahil Reza of Toronto wrote the foreword. So, it's yeah, it's a community effort of several people. Uh, looking at the the problem of political Islam as it's uh, working its way into the Canadian government. Well, I focused on Chapter 12, and I'm going to read the whole book, but I focused on Chapter 12, the Trudeau Party, Entryism, and Extremist Islam. And you have three key points. Number one, the Prime Minister's cooperation with Islamist groups in Canada is an integral part of his globalist belief system. Number two, Prime Minister Trudeau has used the weight of government offices to silence press criticism of his support for Islamist causes. And number three, in both word and deed, Prime Minister Trudeau has gone out of his way to support Islamist groups and their ideology in Canada. Let's get at all of that as we uh, as we move along. But I want to begin with, uh, with, with this question for you. The cause Mr. Trudeau supports on many occasions including, and we've talked about this a great deal on this program, of uh, identifying returning ISIS terrorists who had no connection with this country, even if they had citizenship, because they flew out and joined ISIS and became confirmed oath-taking members of that terror group. Uh, But he, Trudeau, has identified them as uh, an extraordinarily powerful voice within this country, 
And, uh, and then there's his support, quite clearly, for the government of Iran. He said nothing during the uprising that is still ongoing in Iran. Uh, does he, Tom, support the Islamist cause, and is it the cause of political Islam? Can you put that together for us? Yeah, first off, very much it's the cause of political Islam. Uh, these are the folks like the Muslim Brotherhood, the Khomeinist government in Iran, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, the Abu Sayyaf group, Boko Haram, those kinds of folks uh, who bring us this form of political Islam that says all other people in the world must submit to their understanding of Islam, uh, hence the title of the book, Submission. So what I found fascinating, and I should just say, when I started doing the actual writing of this book uh, almost three years ago, the word Trudeau wasn't in there, and I had no intent of having a chapter on him. But what I discovered was his name kept popping up uh, on many different occasions. So finally I decided, enough's enough, let's go back and look at this. And I went back, everything he's done from when he was elected as an MP in May 2008 uh, up to last fall. And what I discovered was that on every single occasion when he had to make a decision on where he would go, who he would talk to, who he would support, etc., he literally supported the Islamist cause against all others. Now, more interestingly, I started to talk to secular Muslims, reformist Muslims, and say, have you ever met with Trudeau? Have you ever talked to him? Have you ever had a meeting with him? And every one of them told me the same thing. They said, not only have we never met with him, we can't even get a response to our request to meet with him. So one of the things I would say as a court expert on uh, jihadist-based terrorism and someone who's done a lot of work with source reliability and information credibility, I would say that Trudeau has, since 2008, had a constant steady line of supporting the Islamist cause over all others when there have been challenges made to him. So when you look at something like the return of ISIS fighters, um, it's a bit shocking to actually hear him say they're going to bring a powerful voice to, you know, Canadian society. Uh, but I wasn't overly surprised. But what is fascinating and what I, I don't understand why the media is not focusing more on this issue is that we don't actually have um, a de-radicalization or a reintegration or a de-emphasization program here in Canada. Public safety does have this Center for Community Engagement and the Prevention of Violence, uh, but no one's actually in charge of it. They still haven't found anybody to run it, and they don't actually have a, bricks, a brick and mortar center to do de-radicalization. Um, so his, his point on this is quite stunning, that we're bringing these fighters back, saying we're going to de-radicalize them, but yet there's not a single example of where it's happened. Uh, because the program doesn't exist. Yeah, not only are they supposedly going to be de-radicalized and reintegrated, but they're going to be an extraordinarily valuable voice for Canada. Has anybody asked them? Um, well, um, the only one time where I'm aware that folks sort of worked a bit with someone who was going down the extremist path was Aaron Driver. And through uh, money that was given to them by the government of Canada, center here in Ontario, examined Aaron Driver as a threat uh, to Canada as part of his peace bond thing. And they said, oh, no, he's not a threat to Canada. He's fine. He's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And, of course, young Mr. Driver went on to become a suicide bomber. Um, so, yeah, the confidence in this kind of thing is not great. Okay. Um, it should be noted that Australia has tried for years to have a de-radicalization program. They spent a ton of money, put a lot of work into it, and they have exactly one success case. 
which they themselves note is pretty disastrous. The Saudi program uh, has produced a number of people who've gone on to be terrorists. The French government spent millions of euros on a program and eventually gave up on it when they realized that, one, it wasn't working for the six or eight people they had, but also, more importantly, they had no way of forcing people to attend it. So this is another question in Canada. If we have these returning ISIS fighters and we're going to de-radicalize them, how do we go about forcing them to attend a de-radicalization center, which we actually haven't built yet? Yeah, and um, how, interested, yeah. how interested is the actual Muslim community in Canada in these individuals coming back and, uh, and appearing in their mosques? I mean, this is a, this is a much bigger picture or issue that Mr. Trudeau seems to uh, paint for us. Now, you, you write about Iran and Iran's influence on, uh, on, on Mr. Trudeau. So can you speak to us about the influence of the government of Iran, because it's been silent during the uprising that's still ongoing. Can you talk to us about what you see as the influence of, the, of Iran on his government? Yeah, the government of Iran, uh, when Mr. Harper was still prime minister, spent millions of dollars building up infrastructure and support networks here in Canada to gain influence here, but also to gain access to America. Uh, that came to sort of a crashing halt uh, when Prime Minister Harper closed their embassy and kicked out all their diplomatic staff who've been doing this work. Since then, the Iranians have taken a different approach. Uh, they're infiltrating people into Canada. They're giving them lots of money. Uh, they're inter- entering into the political process, uh, et cetera, et cetera, which is not, uh, not unusual. I mean, if, if I was the government of Iran, that's exactly what I'd be doing. But what's interesting, and there's maybe two things you might want to focus on today. The first one would be... Uh, Justin Trudeau's brother, Alexandra, or Sasha, as he's known, uh, has worked for Press TV, which is the Iranian state agency. He did a documentary on the mullahs in Iran, and it was an absolutely fawning documentary about how wonderful they were, about their defensive nuclear program, etc., etc. And uh, Sasha is, uh, as of October 2012, an advisor to his brother, Prime Minister Trudeau. So that's a little unnerving. Another good example would be to look at uh, Majid Jahari, who's the uh, Liberal MP from Richmond uh, in Toronto. Uh, He is an open supporter of the Iranian regime. And more interestingly, he has, in my opinion, he has blatantly lied to the Canadian public, talking about the elected government of Iran, when in fact anybody that can find Iran on a map knows that it's a theocratic dictatorship of the worst order, um, the country is completely run by the jurist or the supreme leader, who is Ayatollah uh, Khamenei. And the elections are actually a bit, of a, a bit of a joke, really, in the sense that the supreme leader, Ayatollah Khamenei, chooses who can run, uh, and then they have no actual power to override anything the Ayatollah does. So, you know, here we have, uh, you know, a close advisor to the prime minister, who's a fawning uh, lover of Iran, his own brother, and an MP who openly speaks out in support of the Khomeinist regime. So, yeah, it's a little on the disturbing side, frankly. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back, and we'll continue with Thomas Quiggin and uh, his book submission on The Roy Green Show on Global News Radio. Standing up for the little guy for the greater good. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Send your emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. 
And I'm on Twitter, at The Roy Green Show. Listen back to anything that we air, including this interview with Tom Quiggin on The Roy Green Show page and the podcast on uh, the website of your global news radio station that you're listening to now. Tom Quiggin is the author of Submission, The Danger of Political Islam to Canada with a Warning for America. And, uh, Tom, if I can just stay with Iran for a moment, then I want to ask you some other about some other uh, issues that that concern and Canadians, we've talked about them. How much of what's going on between Mr. Trudeau and Iran is predicated on economic factors, such as whenever we talk about economics in Canada and international, the next word is Bombardier. Yes, okay, so let me just back up a bit here. There's a couple of different things going on. Um, Prior to his election as prime minister, but when he was still a, a member of parliament, uh, Trudeau gave an interview to uh, Shada al-Mashrak, which is a newspaper in Montreal, which is openly homanist and openly supports Hezbollah. And he said if he was elected prime minister, he would have a special immigration program for Muslims and Arabs. And so remember, this is a newspaper that openly supports Hezbollah and the Iranian regime. So in answer, to answer your question directly, how much of this is involved with Bombardier and money, I would say that that's important. It's a part of the problem. But Trudeau's support for Iran, his open support for the Islamist cause, far predates the problems with the Bombardier uh, C-Series jet program and far predates uh, this deal, which we only found out about through the Iranian press, by the way, uh, where the Canadian government is going to uh, underline the loan of $100 million and have the Canadian taxpayer put on the hook if something goes wrong. Um, so, yes, Bombardier is important. Yes, it's there. But Trudeau's support for the Islamist cause far predates that. So let's talk about, uh, if you'll let me ask you about the, um, the hearings on M103, Islamophobia. And we, uh, on this program, quite regularly speak with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and uh, with uh, Rahil Raza, who wrote the preface for your book. And Dr. Jasser and Rahil were invited to address the Parliamentary Committee on M103. Dr. Jasser was roundly attacked by Arif Irani, um, the liberal MP who called him an extremist and said that uh, that uh, Rahil Raza is an extremist as well. Dr. Jasser offered to debate Mr. Varani on this program. I made the offer, never heard a word back. What's going on? What's the, what, what's the core issue as far as your research uh, shows around M103 and these, these hearings? I address the issue of Islamophobia uh, in the book in a couple of different chapters, and then the whole M103 process in a separate chapter, looking at Ikra Khalid and her commitment to this. But here's the bottom line. Islamophobia is a fake concept. It's put forward to silence discussion, and the reason that political Islam, the Islamists, want this discussion shut down is because any rational, open, and public debate about the values of political Islam would show it to be totally against the Canadian Constitution, the Canadian Charter of Rights, and the Criminal Code uh, as well, by the way. So everything looking at um, the idea that man-made law is not acceptable and only law made by God can be made acceptable, of course, is a direct, constitution, a direct constitutional challenge. 
the issue of like wife beating, for instance, where we see a number of people in Canada arguing that wife beating is acceptable because it's a form of education, because it reestablishes authority in the family. And by the way, according to you know the Muslim Student Association at York University, they hand out a book that say women enjoy a good beating now and again because beating a woman shows a sign of quote love and concern for her. So the Islamophobia motion is required. It I think will be sort of translated into some sort of law or process uh, in order to silence criticism of folks like me and Tahir Gora and Raheel Reza who actually stand out and say no, this stuff is so abhorrent. We want nothing to do with it in Canada. Uh, only have two minutes here, so let me come to one of the issues that we first started talking about when it came to Mr. Trudeau, and that's when he told the New York Times that Canada has no core identity, there's no mainstream in this country, that we are the first post-national state, and of course he's a great disciple or follower or supporter of George Soros. Where does all that fit in? Um, he addressed, he sent a video to... Um, reviving the Islamic spirit, which is a conference of sort of the worst of the worst of the Islamist groups in Canada. And he literally, in this video, told them that he shared their vision, he shared their beliefs, and he shared their values. So I think it's reasonably fair to say that he actually sees Western values, he sees the values of the Enlightenment, he sees Judeo-Christian values as a historical aberration of the past that need to be destroyed in order to install his sort of globalist view of the world uh, which he derives from guys like George Soros, but also from Jean-Claude Juncker, the uh, European Union Commission, the Swedish Foreign Minister, Wallström, and uh, a large group of them. This is, uh, this is a real issue. And how much uh, do you expect your book to stir things up in the nation's capital? Well, when I was asked why, do I wrote, why did I write this book, uh, the purpose of the book, uh, I tell people, is to start a national conversation on where do we want the country to go? Do we want to maintain the Charter of Rights, the Constitution, the Criminal Code, or do we want to ditch all that in favor of some sort of globalist, Islamist, cultural Marxist kind of future? Uh, so that's kind of like the purpose behind the book, is to try and get that discussion going exactly with uh, guys like you and your listeners. And Mr. Trudeau has shown no interest in speaking with uh, moderate Muslim organizations, but he had no trouble meeting with Joshua Boyle in the Prime Minister's office, and we spoke earlier with uh, Gord Bibby, whose cousin was uh, Robert Hall, and uh, Gord spoke about how the uh, Mr. Trudeau and his, his uh, cabinet have been totally uh, disinterested in the agony that family is experiencing. Tom, I thank you so much uh, for the time, and uh, we'll talk again. All right. Thanks very much, Roy. Tom Quiggin on The Roy Green Show on Global News Radio, and the book is Submission the danger of political Islam to Canada, uh, with a warning to the, to America. You can bet it's going to create a fair bit of discussion from coast to coast to coast.